You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. this place. Just ask God to have his way. Hallelujah. God, have your way in my life, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. We're people of the name. Amen. We serve an almighty God, the only God. Amen. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your name. We've been in a series that Pastor started us off on. And uh, here this morning, we'll continue into that series. We have a short video to show you from our superintendent, General Superintendent, Brother David Bernard. And uh, the topic this morning is what is the importance of the name of Jesus? And uh, you can have a seat. We're going to play the video right now, and then I'll, I'll pick up where he leaves off. In the 21st century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. One of the distinctive doctrines of the Oneness Pentecostal movement, of course, is baptism in the name of Jesus. Whereas other Christian groups usually baptize their converts in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, apostolic Pentecostals baptize exclusively in the name of Jesus Christ. We have often been referred to as Jesus name Pentecostals or even the Jesus only movement. Why do Pentecostals place so much emphasis on the name of Jesus, specifically oneness Pentecostals. From a biblical perspective, why is the name of Jesus so important? The short answer is the name of God is a very important theme throughout the Bible, and the name of Jesus is featured as the name of salvation in the New Testament. So let me give you a couple resources. If you're interested, I have a, a small book that's entirely devoted to the subject called In the Name of Jesus. And then if you want to discuss more about water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, my book, The New Birth, goes into that subject. Now, I'm not going to do go specifically into that aspect, but let's focus specifically on the significance of the name. If you study the Bible, uh, names are very significant. 
and particularly the name of God. Actually, there, there's a fourfold significance. God's name represents, first of all, his character, his identity, what kind of person he is or what kind of God he is. So in other words, by knowing his name, you have an understanding of his character, his nature, his attributes. The second thing, God's name represents his authority. Third, God's name represents his power. And fourth, God's name represents his manifested glory or his immediate presence. So what makes the name of God different from all other names? If you call my name, I may or may not hear you. I may or not be may or may not be there. I may or may not want to help you if you're asking for help. Or even if I want to, I may not have the power or authority to do anything. But what's different about God's name, specifically the name of Jesus, when you call his name anywhere in the world, you have his immediate attention and presence. You have a God who wants to help, who has the power to help, and who has the authority to help. So his name represents his presence throughout the earth. Um, And so God's name identifies who he is. Now, the name of Jesus is significant. And let me back up. In the Old Testament, the personal name by which God was identified, in contrast to all the false gods, was what we call in in the King James Version, Jehovah, or probably more accurately in Hebrew was pronounced Yahweh. Now, ancient Hebrew didn't have vowels, so we don't know the exact ancient pronunciation, but the consonants Y-H-W-H, also called the Tetragrammaton, the four sacred letters, which, as we say, Yahweh. So the word God, or Elohim in Greek, could be applied to true gods, false god, even humans in certain capacities. Uh, So it's like the English word, generic God. Uh, But when you say Yahweh, that is the one true God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of creation. So that was God's personal name that distinguished him from all other so-called gods. The name of Jesus literally means Yahweh Savior or Yahweh is salvation. And the uniqueness about the name of Jesus is that Uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only person who actually embodies or personifies the meaning of that name. Now, other people in history, so even in its equivalent to the name Joshua, uh, and in the New Testament, we find other people who are named Jesus, Bar-Jesus, even today, especially in the Hispanic community, Jesus. So many people can bear that name, But when they bear the name, it's a way of glorifying God to say, God is our Savior, Yahweh is our Savior. But in the case of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, it has a very specific fulfillment that he actually is what his name says in contrast to anybody else. We see this in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel spoke to Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and said, call his name Jesus. In Matt, so this was God's choice. Matthew 1, 21 through 23, it quotes from Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. You will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted from the Hebrew is God with us. And then this is applied to Jesus. He will be the fulfillment of this prophecy. He will be the son born of a virgin who will be Emmanuel, God with us. So call his name Jesus. And then there's the explanation why. For 
he shall save his people from their sins. So if you don't know the meaning of the name of Jesus, it doesn't make sense. But if you know the meaning is the name Jesus is Jehovah Savior or Yahweh Savior. Oh, so that's why he should be called that name because he's going to do that. And so now you see the parallel, God with us, the name Jesus actually fulfills that prophecy because God is Jehovah and God is with us. Why is he with us? To be our savior. So the name Jesus actually fulfills the prophecy that the Messiah would be God with us to save us from our sins. And so we have this classic statement in Acts chapter 4. So if you go back to Acts 3, uh, Peter and John prayed for a lame, lame man. He was miraculously healed. They actually said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I might say, we typically use the title Lord or the title Christ or maybe even of Nazareth. Why? Because as I said, there, there are other people throughout history and even today who are known by the name of Jesus, but there only, there's only one who actually fulfills the meaning. Well, how do you identify that one? When you say Lord Jesus or Jesus Christ or Lord Jesus Christ, now you're exclusively identifying that one. So the name is Jesus, but the titles identify the unique Jesus who is the object of your faith who is actually God manifest in flesh, who is your savior. And so they said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So the lame man was healed. Crowd gathered, they marveled. They thought, wow, Peter and John have such extraordinary power. They must be holy men of God. And so Peter explained, you know, why do you look on us as if we had extraordinary power of holiness? It's our holiness. It's not us. Acts 3.16 says, his name through faith in his name, has made this man whole. So it's the name of Jesus. But notice, it's not merely the mechanical pronunciation. It's not a magical formula. When we say the name, it's only effective because we have faith in the one the name represents. So it's the name of Jesus that heals, but it's because we call his name in faith, knowing who he is, having a relationship with him, relying upon him as the Savior and healer, so that's how he was healed, through the invocation of the name of Jesus in faith. So in Acts 4, Peter and John were arrested, called before the Jewish council, and they were threatened, you know, you shouldn't be preaching Jesus. But they asked, how were you able to do this miracle? Well, in Acts 4.10, Peter quoted the exact words by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then in verse 12, he explained, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So you want to know why do we emphasize the name of Jesus? Because the New Testament, especially the apostles, said it's specifically the name of Jesus that's the only name for salvation. And if you read the book of Acts, they baptized in Jesus' name. They laid hands on the sick and prayed for healing in Jesus' name. They cast out demons in Jesus' name. They preached and taught in Jesus' name. They suffered shame and rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And, and as Colossians 3.17, the apostle Paul said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and of course, in doing so, you're giving honor and thanks to God the Father, because God has chosen to reveal himself in the name of Jesus. 
And so, of course, doing all in the name of Jesus is, goes beyond just a verbal invocation. It means all of our life should be subject to Jesus as Lord. But when there is a time to invoke God's name or to act in God's name or a ceremony such as water baptism uh, where we need to call on God, then it's obvious, do it in the name of Jesus. And that's why we emphasize it because the New Testament tells us Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. Amen. Amen. How many is thankful for the name of Jesus here this morning? I remember Pastor telling me a story about him traveling for quite a long time, and he got tired, so he pulled over into a truck stop so that he could lay his chair back and rest for a bit. And where he parked, all the cars were parked this way and the transports were parked this way. And so when he woke up, to his surprise, he was face on with the transport. And so he, in his mind, he was still driving when he woke up. He couldn't remember even falling asleep. He woke up and he just grabbed the wheel and said, Jesus! <laughs> now, I don't know if he would tell that story himself, but that's why I tell you. <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, he's downstairs talking to the kids this morning, and I get to, the wonderful opportunity to speak to you here this morning. Amen. The name of Jesus is powerful. I've seen it heal. I've seen it raise people from the dead. When I was a young person in Hatfield Point growing up, there was, a, there was an elder in the church that had had a heart attack during the service and passed out in the pew. No pulse whatsoever. We had nurses, we had firemen come over to his aid to see if they could do anything. They couldn't get a reading, they couldn't get a pulse, and you could see the color coming out of him. And I watched all this transpire as a young person in the church, and my pastor, Brother Wicked, he came down off the platform, and he, he asked us to gather together as a church and begin to pray. We all joined around, and we began to pray, and my pastor, he reached over his big hand and laid it right on top of the, the man who had passed away and just begins praying in the name of Jesus. And as soon as he uttered the name of Jesus over his life, he gasped for air. And he sat up out of his pew, and he is still alive today. That's the power of the name of Jesus. I've seen it with my eyes. I can't be convinced otherwise. Hey, man, I know the power of the name. My grandmother, when I was just a child, she was sick with cancer, completely full of cancer. She went into the hospital, and they told her there's nothing that we can do. They called the family, and the family called the pastor. The pastor comes in, and he begins... The pastor joins the family together, and he says, we need to pray. We all get together, and we pray. Now, they had done their reports, and we had seen them. She was full of cancer. There was no hope. That was their report. And as we got together and we prayed, something transpired. She asked them to do reports again, and when they did reports again, they could find no trace of cancer. She's 94 today. That's the power of the name of Jesus. Amen. There's been so many different things that I could share with you here this morning, but those are just a couple of instances where the name of Jesus has been applied and there's been transformation that has happened because all power, all authority rests in that name. 
in the name of Jesus. And so if you'll allow me here this morning, I'm just going to speak to you about Jesus revealed. Jesus revealed from a very young age, the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance is the Shema. It's known as the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The opening line, hear, O Israel, or listen, doesn't simply mean just to hear what's being said. Instead, this word listen means to allow the words to sink in, provide understanding, generate a response. And so how was Israel supposed to respond about hearing that the Lord alone is their God? Love the Lord your God. In this context, this isn't simply the warm, fuzzy, emotional feeling when we like somebody. In the Bible, love is compelled by action. Love is action. They were to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their mind, soul, strength. And here is how they do that. We see this in verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Teach them diligently to your children. When you are sitting, when you are walking, when you are lying down, when you are rising up. Carry the word with you. Write it on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. If you want to show the Lord that you love him, you really love him, make his word a part of everything that you do. Be faithful to his word. Do what it says. Don't just read it. Do what it says. Dr. David Bernard, as we just watched here this morning, he, he said this as well. He said, as a church, we are distinguished by our emphasis on the oneness of God and the absolute deity of Jesus Christ because we understand that God is one. We also realize that the church should be one in identity and purpose. The purpose of the church is to glorify the one God and to evangelize the world with his message. You love someone when you act in loyalty and faithfulness. For Israel to love meant faithful obedience to the terms of their covenant relationship. That's why the word says that it's better to obey than to have to do sacrifice. It's better that you just obeyed in the first place than have to go to the point of sacrifice for forgiveness of that. The echo of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 continues on in the New Testament as Jesus repeats to the Pharisees, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. So you might be asking yourself here this morning, okay, so how does that apply to us today? You ask such good questions. Before salvation was available for all, that's you and me and every generation, the Jews were known as the people of God, the people of Jehovah. They looked different. They acted different. They were set apart and could easily be pointed out of a crowd as he or she is a Jew. That's an Israelite. That's somebody that follows Jehovah. And for us today, now that we have the full revelation of God's name, we are called Christians, the people of Christ. And everything we teach, everything we preach hinges on that name. That's our revelation. It's our foundation. And just as Israelites were called to be separate, we're also called to be 
set apart, to be separated unto God and away from sin. And so we must understand God, and to do that, we must know Him. If you know Him, you can love Him. If you love Him, you can serve Him. And if you serve Him, He will be everything that you need. From the beginning of the Old Testament, God makes it very clear that He will not share His glory with another. Not with anyone else. And we see this over and over again in Scripture, especially in the book of Isaiah. He uses strong, absolute wording to declare Himself. He is one. He is Redeemer. He is Savior. There is none before Him. There will be none after Him. He is the Lord. Amen. He is the Lord. And when God called Moses to deliver the people, Moses asked, who should I say is sending me? God revealed himself as the I am, the eternal I am that I am. He's professing that he is all-encompassing. He can be whatever he wants to be. He can be whatever you need him to be. If you need healing, he says, I'm the healer. If you need peace, he says, I am your peace. If you're lost in sin, he says, I am the Savior. If you need help or direction, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the way. He says, I am the first and the last. I am everything in between. And we see throughout the Old Testament, God revealing more about himself as different needs rose up in the lives of his people. He used different titles to express self-revelation, setting the scene for when we would reveal when he would reveal his true name in Jesus Christ. God's people had such respect and reverence for his holy name, so much so that they went through great lengths to ensure they wouldn't take his name in vain. And so often we see him referred to as Jehovah or Yahweh. The name Jehovah was associated with salvation, redemption. Ever since the fall of man at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when sin separated the creation from the creator we've been in need of a savior we see god revealed throughout scripture in genesis chapter 22 verse 14 he's revealed as jehovah jireh in other words the lord will provide jehovah rapha in exodus chapter 15 verse 26 which means the lord that heals Jehovah Nisi in Exodus chapter 17, verse 15, the Lord, our banner, or the Lord, our victory. Amen. Jehovah Mekadesh in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13, the Lord that sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, Judges chapter 6, the Lord, our peace. Jehovah Seboeth in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty. Jehovah Elion. In Psalm 7, verse 17, the Lord Most High. Jehovah Reah, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Hosanu, Psalm 95, verse 6, the Lord our maker. Jehovah Sitkanu, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shammah, and Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35, the Lord is present. I don't know if you're getting what I'm putting down here right now, but what I'm talking about is that He is everything we need. He is our peace. He is our strength. He is our salvation. Everything is found in Him. When Abraham needed a, a lamb to sacrifice, God revealed Himself as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. When Israel needed protection from disease and sickness, God revealed Himself as Jehovah Rapha, 
the Lord that heals. As time progressed, mankind held their breath as they waited the promise made of a day when Messiah would come and save his people from their sin. Restoring the broken relationship between God and man. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, there was a prophet by the name of Agar. He was trying to look into the future, trying to get a glimpse by what name God would reveal himself when he would appear as, as the Messiah. And when he does, he talks about the Holy One. The prophet Zechariah prophesied that a time would come that the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day, it shall be that the Lord is one and his name one. And when the fullness of time came, God satisfied the longings of his people and revealed himself in all his power and glory through the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as we just talked about here, Jesus literally means Jehovah Savior or Yahweh Savior. Jehovah our salvation. And that's why the angel shall, said, she shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Aren't you thankful here this morning? He shall save his people from their sin. Jesus Christ is the culmination and completion of all the Old Testament names of God. It is the highest, most exalted name ever revealed to humanity. The God in the Old Testament declared many things about himself, such as he was salvation, that he alone was God, and only God could save people from their sins. And now in the New Testament, we find the God-man, Christ Jesus, Declared as our salvation, our healer, our redeemer, the only name by which we can be saved. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, Peter declares, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, everything we do, we do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. We cast out devils. We speak in tongues. We receive supernatural powers and protection. We pray for the sick. We see miracles, signs, and wonders all done in the name of Jesus. The Bible foretold that the Messiah would declare the name of the Lord, according to Psalm 22 and Hebrews chapter 2. It's the name promised from Isaiah 52. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Here's what we need to understand. The Jewish people were trained from a very young age that there is only one God. The idea of there being any more was not even a concept that they entertained. The idea of their philosophy or three or of there being more actually never came about until the fourth century. To understand the scripture, you have to have an understanding of the culture of which it was written. Along the way, our culture's insufficient understanding of the original text when translated to the English language, somehow began the misconception that there, there are three separate beings in the Godhead. To be honest, the only ones who believed in multiple gods were the pagan nations. And from the very beginning, the enemy of our soul has made it his mission to confuse you, distract you, keep you from the truth. It started in the garden when he worked his way into thoughts with Eve. Having her question God's instructions, God said, don't eat of the tree. Satan said, did God really say that? If he can keep you distracted, he can keep you captive. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 23, 
The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I put up a, a sign in the office one day when I used to sit at the front desk where Sister Nina is sitting at right now. I put a sign and it said, no one can come to the pastor except through me. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, speaking of Satan, it says, the God of this age, that's talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's blinded people from being able to see it. So who is Jesus Christ? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 puts it so beautifully. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 35, verse 4 to 6, it says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not be afraid, do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Isaiah 40, verse 3, prophesies of one who would cry in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert highway of our God. And we know John the Baptist fulfilled this Old Testament prophecy when he prepared the way for Jesus Christ in the New Testament. According to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. The only way you can see the importance of the name of Jesus is to understand that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Come on, somebody, this morning. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's all in him. John chapter 1 verse 10 shows us that he, God, came to his own creation and his own creation, his own chosen people did not recognize him or receive him. The very fact that God became flesh is one of the most wonderful, one of the most incomprehensible things about him. The mystery of God in the flesh was a major stumbling block for the Jews. They could never come to terms with the fact that Jesus, being a man, could also be God. For one, they wanted a king, a powerful, mighty man, come to save their people from the oppression of the Romans, but that's not how he came. He came as a servant, as a sacrifice. And sometimes what we want is not always what we need. It's sad, really, I once heard it this way, a man possessed by thousands of demons recognized Jesus, but the men possessing thousands of scriptures could not. Yet God always has a plan. His ways are perfect. 
because then we stumble upon Paul, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus, a highly educated Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, the devoted of the devoted, a man well acquainted with Jewish law and scriptures. He was a fanatic persecutor of Christians. Why? Because he believed in only one God, and this man, Jesus, was encroaching on sacred territory. He genuinely believed that he was doing God a favor by ridding these so-called heathens of this distorted doctrine. But then he has this life-changing experience on the road to Damascus. Blinded by a bright light from heaven, knocked to the ground, he heard a voice call out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He cries out, who are you, Lord? Then the voice replies, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, as a Jew, he knew that there was only one Lord in his name now. that He finds out as Jesus, a man of God by the name of Ananias, comes and confirms Paul's experience with the Lord, prays for him in Jesus' name. He regains his sight, receives his spirit, and is baptized. He then becomes one of history's most prominent and powerful preachers. The man who once persecuted and imprisoned Christians was now preaching the gospel of Christ. He was setting up churches here. Here, here, all over. Everything changed for him when he encountered Jesus for himself. How do you know that to be true? Everything changes. Acts chapter 9, verse 22, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. The mighty God manifest in the flesh, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus the Christ, the bridge that spanned the gap, God's master plan to reunite his people unto himself, was himself. Now, if the people had opened their eyes as they did to the truth that was standing right there in front of them, the long-awaited promise was right there, the hope that they were searching for. They would have seen that the God that calmed the storm in Psalm 107, verse 28 to 29, says, Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. This was the same God when Jesus rebuked the storm in Mark chapter 4. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. With awestruck wonder, the disciples said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? John chapter 14, verse 15 to 18, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask my, the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus, he tells his disciples, the Father will send the Advocate, the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit. And in this same conversation, he tells his disciples, the very Spirit that will come is already living with them now. And later the same Spirit will be in them. And then he says, I will come to you. Jesus is speaking as the Father, that he will not leave his disciples as orphans. He will not leave them fatherless because he is the Spirit of the Father living in the tent of flesh. And had the Jews opened their eyes, 
they would have seen the same God who promised to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh as prophesied in Joel chapter 2 was the same God that Jesus talked about in John chapter 14. And it's the same God that poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You see, it, it was the Spirit of God who overshadowed the Virgin Mary, who conceived Jesus, the begotten Son of the Father. And yet Jesus tells his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That he was in the Father and the Father was in him. On and on, over and over, the Bible reveals Jesus as God. It's this beautiful, intricate roadmap, a puzzle perfectly fit together. Revelations declares that there's only one sitting on the throne in heaven with 24 elders around the throne and an angelic host proclaiming, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one sitting on the throne in Revelation reveals himself as the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega, and that one is Jesus Christ. God already confirmed that there is no other, no one before, no one after. Why would he share his glory with another? Jesus is not some form of junior God. He is not God the Son. The Bible doesn't even use that terminology. There is only one God who operated in different offices. Just like I'm a son, a father, a husband. I'm not three separate beings who jumps into each different part. I'm still only Mark. I just have three different roles to play in different situations. And so I repeat the question, who is Jesus Christ? I love these descriptions from Brother Bernard's Oneness of God book. He says, as a man, he was born as a baby, but as God, he existed from eternity. As a man, he grew mentally, physically, socially, but as God, he never changes. As a man, he was tempted by the devil, yet as God, he cast out devils. As a man, he hungered, but as God, he was the bread of life. As a man, he thirsted, and yet as God, he gave living water. As a man, he grew weary, but as God, he rested. He gave rest. As a man, he slept in a storm, but as God, he calmed the storm. As a man, he prayed, but as God, he answered prayer. As a man, he was bruised and beaten, but as God, he healed the sick and the broken. As a man, he died, yet as God, he raised his own body from the dead. And As a man, he was a sacrifice for sin, and yet as God, he forgave sin. As a man, he did not know all things, and yet as God, he knew all things. As a man, he had no power, yet as God, he had all power. As a man, he was a servant, and as God, he was the King of kings, Lord of lords. Jehovah, salvation. John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jump down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared Him. 
The Apostle Paul best sums it up when he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, for in Christ lives all the fullness of the Godhead in a human body. The New King James Version says it this way, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. It takes faith to believe God's word. It takes faith to please the Lord. But the good news is, is that we've all been given a measure of faith. If you have a need in your life, there's power in knowing who you can turn to. That's the importance of the name. Truth is a treasure. The Bible tells us to sell it not. Take hold of this truth. Buy it. Sell it not. And this treasure will set you free. The Bible says, he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Our Savior, our Redeemer, our Healer, Jesus Christ, God with us, God for us, God in us. Hallelujah. If I could have the music come back at this time. We can get hung up on Christ's dual nature because it's hard for our finite minds to comprehend However, the fact that God came as both all man and all God is a beautiful portrait of the love that he has for us. According to God's plan, the shedding of blood was necessary for the remission of man's sins. In the Old Testament, they would sacrifice spotless animals, shed their innocent blood to push sin ahead for a year. But this was all temporary and insufficient as a long-term solution. God said that he would be our Savior, our Redeemer, But a spirit has no body, and the penalty of sin meant that a physical body, blood, was needed for atonement. So God prepared himself a body. He became our substitute, paid the debt we owed, the debt that all men owe, bore our sins and freed us from the curse. He took our place. The first man, Adam, became the representative of sin for all mankind. Jesus came back as what the Bible calls the second Adam to replace the first one as our representative. He reversed the consequences of the sins of man. And so now we no longer identify with Adam. We identify with the Lord who changed the course of history and changed the course of our life. We are forever debted to him, and yet he came while we were yet sinners, died for us. As a man, he was able to feel our infirmities and our afflictions, to experience the weakness of his creation as human beings, and so he could genuinely say he knows how we feel. He understands what we are going through, if we could all stand. Hallelujah. He knows where you're at this morning. He knows what you're going through. There's nothing too big for our God. There's nothing too insignificant to bring to Him. As a man, He was an example for us to follow how to live a victorious life over sin with help from the Spirit of God. It is possible to live a holy life, but not without Him. We need Him. We need His direction. As a man, He was baptized. He prayed. He cried. He learned to submit and obey. And He suffered 
the divine nature of Christ was in control. And, and God is always faithful to his plans. But his human nature needed help from the Spirit. Isn't it just like our God to go through such great lengths to help us? For our Father to teach his children how to live the way he wants us to live. We all need the help of God's Spirit to be successful. And as we make our pilgrimage through this foreign land, everything he did, he did for us to show us, to guide us. Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. And at the end of the day, following Jesus is about love. Love that came to us when we weren't looking for it. And as we receive this love, it generates gratitude, humility, or commitment to honor and love him in return. Love gives birth to more love, which results in faithfulness and obedience. And this truth is what will transform us from the inside out. If you're in need of healing, he's the great physician. If you're in need of salvation, i got good news for you here this morning. He's the Savior. He's the only one that can save. He is the embodiment of God Almighty. And because we believe in Him, we talk about Him when we're sitting down, when we're standing, when we're walking, when we're lying down, when we're rising up, when we bind ourselves as an everlasting covenant to Him. We write it on our hearts diligently, diligently, diligently. We come to church. We give all of ourselves in prayer, in praise, in our worship, no matter how we're feeling, no matter how tired we are, because He is everything. He's given everything. That's the importance of the name. And so wherever you are here this morning, I'm going to invite you to come, everybody to come, no one excluded, because that's what He's all about. He doesn't exclude anybody. He brings us all in, and He becomes what we need. Whatever you're in need of here this morning, He's got right here for you. I'm just going to ask if you could step out in faith and claim that here this morning. He's your victory. He's the banner over your life. He is victory. He's your peace. If you're struggling in your mind to have peace, if you're struggling in your home to have peace, He is peace. Hallelujah. If you need healing in your body, He's the healer. If you need salvation, He's there. He's there. He is your Savior. He's come to save. Hallelujah, Jesus. He wants to rewrite your story here this morning. He's revealed Himself. He has revealed Himself so that you and I could live above sin, could have a different life, could choose Him. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise your great name, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.